Hello, and welcome to In the Dirt from the Gravel Ride podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, and I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Randall Jacobs. If you're new to the podcast, we've got both an interview show with guests from around the industry, including professional athletes, product designers, and event organizers, and In the Dirt, which is a conversation between myself and Randall Jacobs about the comings and goings in the gravel cycling community, how cycling fits into our lives, and new product releases we think are interesting to talk about. More and more of the conversations are coming directly out of conversations that are going on in the Ridership Forum. If you haven't heard about the Ridership, the Ridership's a new community that we've created online at www.theridership.com. And it's basically a discussion board or forum where you can connect with cyclists from around the world to learn about routes, talk about products, talk about the things you ride and where you ride. So I encourage you to join us. It's a big part of our initiatives going forward in 2021. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can visit buymeacoffee.com slash the gravel ride. You can make a one-time contribution, choose from a number of different perks, or become a member. The membership option is a very powerful signal to me that I'm on the right track and having your ongoing support really makes all the difference in the world knowing that this podcast can be self-sustaining, that I can actually cover the costs and time of the effort that I put into it. So huge thanks to everybody who's made both one-time contributions and joined the membership program. It means a great deal to me. With all that said, let's jump right into my conversation with Randall. Randall, welcome to the show. Always a pleasure. Glad to be back. Good to see you. It was even better to see you in person last week. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's It's been, uh, I'm excited to have you back in the Bay. That was a, a lovely ride and conversation. Yeah, I appreciated you driving up here from the peninsula up to Marin and, and allowing us to go up TAM together. It was good. I've, I've ridden with so few people. It's been sad, you know, sad part of my life that we've mentioned before, but it's nice to get out just one-on-one with people. Yeah. Yeah. I miss that uh, tremendously. And I'm looking forward to when the weather is a little bit better. So you have more opportunities. Yeah, for sure. It's also, you know, as we've been working on the ridership together, it's great to just be talking about the big ideas and how we can put something forth into the world that really sort of takes hold of cyclists and gives them some place to commune, gives them some place to get information. But then as we really hope, like ultimately jump off and be face to face and ride with others. Well, and it, it, you know, very much addresses problems that um, we want solved for ourselves and that we see in the world and would like to see solved in the world. And so it's, that's super gratifying as well, especially given just the quality of conversation and the, you know, the slow but steady build of membership within that community. It's, it's, uh, it's really cool to, to be a part of. Yeah, it's, it's definitely filling kind of a COVID hole for me. Something that, you know, (laughs) yeah, I've just been craving more of the interaction. I think in the absence of 2020 of like any events and short of one group ride we did together at the beginning of 2019 or 2020, I think just before COVID, just before COVID, like I haven't had any of that big camaraderie and community moments in gravel. That is what has kept the industry so invigorated the last few years. 
Well, it kind of ties in very, you know, dovetails very nicely into the conversation you and I were having on that ride about like, what is the meaning of this activity that we engage in? Like on on a a much deeper level, like what is it about uh, human psychology, about our, you know, our, our most fundamental needs, you know, in a very Maslow sort of sense that this activity addresses. Uh, And so, you know, we were going to have this conversation today uh, and it, it kind of goes full circle into like why you started the podcast, why I, you know, uh, was in the bike industry and, and started thesis and, and why we're doing this ridership project and so on is to kind of facilitate these sorts of things. Yeah. I think the conversations around, you know, sort of how we pushed ourselves as cyclists at different points in our lives, it was interesting to kind of suss out and we should just sort of jump into them and maybe give a little backstory for each of us as to how we discovered the sport. Yeah, I'm curious, like, what were your, like, what was your first experience with the bike? Like, going back to childhood? Yeah, you know, after learning to have a bike, I think the the bike that really started to mean something for me, to me, was the BMX bike. And, you know, I very much enjoyed, you know, living in the suburbs of New Jersey and and, uh, Illinois, just sort of being able to go places, obviously, to meet friends, and then discovering, like, the joy of jumping off of things. (laughs) <laughs> which i'm sure your parents were, were thrilled to see you doing yeah absolutely For, fortunately jumping off things back then and i just had funnily made this comment in the ridership the other day jumping off things at that age or at that period you know in the 70s and 80s that was a five foot jump that was not the 50 foot jumps that you're seeing kids do today so you'll break your arm but maybe not your spine yeah Exactly. And I remember I had, my dad was a road cyclist, so that was sort of present in my life. And I got my bike stolen, my BMX bike. And, you know, being super fortunate that Christmas, my parents replaced it with a a 10 speed bike, a rally Grand Prix. And I remember thinking like that was cool, but it wasn't the right time for me. I still craved the BMX bike and my dad totally didn't understand BMX as part of the, the sport that he loved. It was just a completely different discipline. But I think I cobbled together some some money and ultimately ended up getting another BMX bike. And up until about high school, that's really what I rode. Yeah, that that resonates with my experience. Like, um, I remember my first bike was a hand-me-down from my older sister. Um, so blue um, had like big ape hanger bars and a uh, a banana seat. You know, really just not not a performance machine. But I'd ride it around the the driveway, uh, and then you know I got a hand-me-down BMX bike from a cousin. And I remember riding that. You know, in in as I reflect, it was very much the way that I ride my gravel bike. In that I use it to kind of like, you know, granted, I'm not doing the same sorts of distances, but I would ride down to my friend's house and pick him up. And then we'd ride down to the park and we'd meet a bunch of other kids. And then we'd go down and, you know, ride down the railroad tracks a couple towns over to where the, there were cliffs uh, on a reservoir and then jump into the reservoir. And we'd just like have these big rambling adventures uh, with each other of the same sort that are like the thing that I really love about the gravel experience uh, that I get to have with, you know, adults that are getting this, this childlike play experience as well. Yeah. I think the parallel there for me is like, I never sought out the same routes. I mean, obviously if you, if it took the same route to get from point A to point B, that was one thing. But as a kid with a BMX bike, you were always looking for that alley, that path, Mm -hmm. that little, little like hidden 
gem that you could take someone to that felt special and unique to to a child there's, there's an element of exploration and like not riding in order to like suffer and exercise and to get better or to train like but just like the experience of being out in the wild and wanting to go and experience a place even if it's a familiar place just like loving being in that place yeah uh, exactly yeah. and i'd say the other sort of formative experience of my cycling life was my father agreed to take myself and two sophomore and high school friends on a bike tour through upstate New York and Vermont, where we had panniers and we'd stay in youth hostels. And how old were you at this point? I was a sophomore in high school, so I don't know what sophomore it, in high school, yeah, fourteen, fifteen. Yeah. I think that makes you and like Lord knows why my dad took on that that task, but bless him for doing it. And it was great, you know we. We just rode bikes all day long. And I, I can't remember the distances. I can't remember. I can't imagine they were that far. But just if you can imagine just sort of an arcing loop through a map. And we were staying in like Lake Placid, New York and different parts of Vermont, staying in youth hostels that were converted barns and bunk houses and things like that. It just showed me that you can get on a bike if you have the resources to get a roof over your head or at this point, a tent over your head, you can have these great adventures. And while it wasn't something that I took away and said, oh, I need to do that every summer or every weekend by a long shot, it was just this memory that when I actually became a quote unquote cyclist, it, I think it fueled my desire for what I wanted to revisit. And there's an element there too that I, I love about about riding, which is uh, it's an intergenerational activity, right? So like you connecting with your dad, but then you you know as uh, I remember as I was coming up in the the cycling scene, uh, you know I I'd have friends who were in their fifties and sixties, and maybe in my normal life like the interaction would would be more hierarchical. Uh, you know, you're, when you're 19 or 20, uh, you know, there's, this this seems to be this big gulf, but somehow when you're on a bicycle, whether it be age or whether it be, um, you know, uh, social status or whatever it is, I think especially with the gravel experience, it, there's a there's an equalization that happens that's quite nice. Yeah, it's true. I went to I went to school in Washington D.C. Washington D.C. and discovered mountain biking at that point, and about zero percent of my college friends rode mountain bikes. But it was mm. something that, you know, I had discovered mountain biking over the summer and just fell in love with it. And it was something like I just simply could not give up, even though no one I knew did it. And that led me to working in a bike shop that led me to riding with an incredibly diverse cast of characters. Lots of bike couriers in D.C. became friends of mine, you know, shop guys and girls. It was just great to your point. Like it was very it. It was this equalizing thing, like we all just were finding dirt trails in D.C. or in the surrounding area, and it didn't matter economic status, color, sex, none of that mattered at that point. It was really about if you wanted to do this thing. It occurs to me that like the, the experience of, of childhood, for, I think for many of us, is like it's your first taste of freedom. Right. Like, like getting your driver's license, only you don't have to wait so long. And there's not all these, you know, uh, these, uh, red, red tape associated with it. You just like, as soon as you can get on your bicycle and your parents let you out of the backyard, at least in my experience, they're like, okay, you can go down to this street and I'd go down to that street. And then I'd probably go three streets over and then I'd be several towns over. And it was just like, a, you know, <laughs> a way of, uh, 
allowing me a, a degree of of uh, of freedom to go out and explore the world. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I, I know both of us in our twenties discovered mountain bike racing as something to do. For me, it was very much, and I'm a bit older than you. It was very much about discovering new places to ride, and that was more of a driver. Like I think I wanted to be more at the front end of the pack than the back end of the pack, but it was really more adventure driven than anything else. Where, where, and how did it come into your life? I think that uh, so I came in around nineteen. So I right after high school, I moved to Martha's Vineyard uh, and took a job in a in a bike shop and was living in in somebody's basement and uh, met a guy who uh, introduced me to cross country riding and uh, you know built up my first serious bike. Uh, I had a up until that point I had a Costco bike which worked fine, but I broke every part on that thing and I built up a steel hardtail from the ground up. And then when I got to undergrad, uh, there was a racing team. And so I joined. And, and in fact, um, with little exception, like most of the people I, I brought with me beyond undergrad from that period, um, I met on the bike team or I met through the bike team. And so it was very much a, a matter of, of, yes, enjoying the experience of it. Um, and yes, at that time, finding that it was, I was pretty good at it. You know, I had a natural cardiovascular base and, and so on. Uh, but also just, uh, you know, a, a desire to connect. I, I, I was, a, I was uncomfortable, uh, in social situations. I was, uh, socially, uh, had a lot of anxiety and so on. And so like, this was a way for, for me to, um, have a, have something of a community. Yeah. It's, you know, I remember, those first like really big rides when I finally connected with people I thought were real mountain bikers and being the last person to, to clear any section or any climb. And you sort of remember those moments where you're the last one to arrive and everybody's had a healthy five or 10 minute break, had their snacks and had their drink. And by the time you get there, they're ready to go. And it's just, I don't, I don't view that as sort of a negative part of the rite of passage, but it was definitely a somewhat punishing rite of passage that I felt like I went through. Yeah, I went through something of the same. Um, I, I now like from where I'm at, at at this point, I'm always very mindful out on rides of finding the people who are are relatively new, uh, who are maybe not the the strongest in terms of uh, fitness or technical skills, and kind of making sure that they feel included. And, and so on, because it is, it is a vulnerable position to, to be in, to, you know, show up to something with a new group of people and in, in a, an activity where there is some element of com competition and some people do show up with that attitude, uh, but making sure that people feel included and, and, and the like is, is, uh, if some, I wish when I was entering the sport, it would have been really helpful for me to have more of that sort of dynamic. I know for sure. And I think everyone appreciates being accepted. Yeah. It seems like the improvement comes either way. Right. And it can be more, yeah. more comforting and not risk shedding someone out of the sport. Whereas previously I feel like, and, and certainly in certain sectors of the sport, it was pretty easy to get shelled out immediately. You know, I, I, I find it was fortunate that I've discovered the sport mostly through the mountain bike side, which is generally more accepting versus, you know, you back in the day, you show up for a road ride with the wrong size socks, the wrong bike, the wrong <laughs> kit. And unless you were absolutely crushing it, people were going to look at you with disdain and fear. 
Yeah, that that hyper competitive elements was very much um, part of the the road side of things when I was coming up as well. And it's one of the reasons I never really gravitated as much to road, except for, you know, when I was at a point where I was training a lot and was really fit. And in that case, it was a way of kind of stoking my own ego, which was itself not, you know, a healthy thing. It didn't do me much good. Uh, but yeah, it just made it less accessible. And I ended up after racing for several years, pretty seriously. Um, I think there was a couple of years where I didn't own a bike, uh, and wasn't riding. Cause I was just like burnt out. I'm like, why am I doing this? Yeah. You think about that and you think about how you ride and experience riding today. And I don't think you would reasonably expect that anything would happen short of injury that would stop you from riding a bike tomorrow or a month from now. Um, it, mostly it, it's just, uh, I don't have the same compulsion to ride. Like I, I used to have a guilt around not riding. It's like, oh, I need to put this in because, you know, I need to, uh, exercise and I, it, it's a sense of obligation. Now I ride when I want to ride and I run when I want to run and I go for a, a walking meditation through the woods when I want that. And, uh, and you know, it's a, it's a very different uh, relationship to the machine than when I was trying to be you know, one of the stronger people and, and, uh, kind of punish myself to, uh, you know, there's an element of a big, hard all day ride can be this really joyful experience. But also for me, it was a way of like suppressing anxiety too, in some cases, like, you know, if, if you're having anxiety, well, if you ride all day, it's going to kind of make it so that your nervous system just doesn't have anything left. And finally you can get a good night's sleep. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Like, I think we've, many of us has been there where you just, you know, flog yourself on a five hour Saturday ride and about all you can be worth is a eating a burrito on the couch the rest of the day. And the idea of really being present in whatever you're going through and your emotions is farcical at that point, if your body's just so <laughs> down. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it can be. And this kind of gets into the conversation we were having the other day about like, what, what does the bike mean? What is the, what is the purpose of this activity? What are ways in which it satisfies some, some deeper human need, uh, some deeper need of the psyche for, for meaning, for a connection or, 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 you know, as an avoidance strategy in some cases, which I've definitely exercised in my relationship to the bike. Yeah. I got to imagine just the sheer amount of suffering that most professional cyclists have gone through that there are, there are some inner demons in play. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Having had a lot of conversations on this topic with such, with such people, um, not just competitive, uh, like people who are competing at a high, at, you know, at an elite level, but also, um, you know, CEOs or people who are in high status, high, highly competitive, high stress sort of positions. Well, you see them overrepresented in say, um, you know, Ironman, or ultra endurance events or, or things like that. It's the same sort of like type A, um, whatever I'm going to do, I need to be the best at it sort of attitude. Yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 it manifests itself out in some of the cultures of those sports, which I think is why I've, I've gravitated towards gravel cycling because I've always had any event that I've done. I've just always had a pleasurable experience. I've never felt like I was losing. I always felt like I was winning. And I was never yeah. near the front. Not, not a once have I been near the front of a gravel race. So it wasn't about the place I was in. It was about the experience I was having. 
I feel like in many ways it it takes kind of the best of the the compete to complete sort of um, MS ride type events, um, which are like a lot of people just show up and like that's the one ride they do all year. Um, and then the other side, which is, you know, the more competitive side of things and combines that into a format where everybody can get the experience that they're after. Yeah, I think that's true. I think you're taking away the same thing you do from an Ironman. Like the vast majority of people going to Ironman aren't trying to win it. But for the vast majority of people there, it is this momentous culmination of six months or a year's worth of training to get to that finish line. And I think a lot of the gravel events are that way for a lot of people. There's so many variables, whether it's distance, terrain, et cetera, that you're going through that it's a cathartic moment to achieve the finish line of a gravel event. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And on that theme, I'm kind of interested to to dig a little bit deeper in your experience at like, you know, what was your mentality kind of at the height of your competitive phase with cycling? Like, what were your motivations? What was going on internally? You know, as I said to you before, I've never been sort of a hyper competitive person. I found myself just by riding as much as I was doing and the people I was riding with in DC that I sort of was naturally progressing towards the front end of the expert category. And I think as I was in the sort of top five, top 10 on the East Coast, I had then moved to Boulder, Colorado and immediately, you know, got an ass whooping (laughs) because the talent level is just so much deeper. And frankly, the riding style is so much deeper. You know, gone are the advantages of being great in the roots and the wet. And here I am having to climb you know, big mountains, certainly from where I was from. So I think that combined with the age I was at and my desire to keep racing kind of had it shifting. And it then again became more about, I'm going to continue racing to travel and discover Colorado and race the Colorado series. And it was more this vehicle for getting places and riding new terrain that drove me at that point. And ultimately it was an injury that kind of pushed me out of competitive cycling, but I think I was there already. Like mentally you were, you had had it, you'd had enough. Yeah. I still, I still loved going places and riding new terrain, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't interesting to sponsors for someone who just wanted to go out and have experiences. Right. At that point, Mm -hmm. I think they wanted a little bit more. It was sort of before the, ambassador of cycling kind of concept was out there in the world oh when you can we can when you could be on the um you know book face and institubes and all this stuff and just uh self-promoting and use that as a way to yeah (laughs) get people to give you stuff yeah exactly so i mean i think at this point i i still want to be closer to the front of the pack than the end of the pack but Uh it's not a it's not a huge driver for me at Mm -hmm. all i find for me maybe sort of the guilt of me thinking I need to go out for a ride is still a driver that is positive in my life. You know, as a, <laughs> as a family man, I, I do need reasons to get out the door. So having like a little bit of sort of nagging guilt of like, Oh, I should get out on the bike is actually a good thing because sometimes I need a little bit more, a little bit of something to get out there. Well, there's an element of, um, 
like self-discipline towards a greater goal that you're clear about and and that is like a, a goal that's aligned with your you know broader values and mission in life that makes sense as opposed to like a compulsion to do something that's never questioned. Yeah, I mean a lot of time for me it's sort of a fear of not being able to ride the ride the length that I want to ride on the day that it arrives. Like there's no, yeah. I'm not with the people you want to do it with. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if someone calls out that three weeks from now, they want to do a hundred K gravel ride in Marin. I want to be able to reasonably look at myself and say like, Oh, I think I could go and do that and enjoy it and not be, you know, hobbling around for weeks afterwards. My, my motivations are very much aligned with that. Um, at this stage, um, definitely weren't when I was at the peak of my racing days, which is something that um, might be fun to explore a little bit because I'm there's this like where we are now, I, I feel it's a much healthier relationship when I was racing and we can ask the question like um, what are like what is a healthy re- relationship to the bike when you're hyper competitive or you're in a, you know you're using it primarily in competition? For me, it was very much a way of, uh, like I raced in college and it was mostly to be part of the team in that community. And I found I was pretty good. Um, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I would do well enough in my category. And then I kind of put it aside and several years later, you know, I always had in the back of my head, like if I was ever going to be a professional athlete, that this would be the easiest way for me to achieve that, which why I needed to achieve that is, you know, like <laughs> why did it matter so much? Um, and so when, uh, Later on, my father got sick and it was like one of several things is like, I want, this is what I want to, you know, if I was in my, on my deathbed, these, this is one of the things I would like to have achieved. And I remember getting to a point where I got, I got my upgrade and I was the pack fodder pro, which was my goal and feeling, um, in retrospect that too much of my identity was wrapped up in like being good enough to reach that status and then have other people recognize me as, Oh, like you're, you're that guy who is um, relatively fast in the small community. It's like, why, why is it that I needed that external validation? And this gets into, um, I think like deeper questions of like where one gets one's worth, which uh, I think a lot about these days where one, you know, where I get my worth, where people get their worth. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly a deep question and something that I think everybody struggles with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't think it necessarily, I think there's, when you start asking the question, um, it, it, it's like the, the thread on the sweater that you can pull and you can end up unraveling the whole sweater. And sometimes that's what it it takes in order to have a healthier relationship with oneself and how one shows up in the world. And that's kind of what I have discovered of late for for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, in listening to you talk about your history, I wonder if collegiate cycling also gave you a different introduction to the sport than I had. My knowledge of collegiate cycling and what I've listened to people talk about it, there is more of an element of a team, right? There's things things that you can do to acquire points. So it's not all about you, maybe necessarily. It's about the us achieving the goal for the team. Is that true? Uh, I, in my experience, and granted, this is, you know, 2001, two, three. Um, so this is 20 years ago. Jeez, it's 20 years ago. Um, but it was actually much more the fact that, you know, everyone's piling into the vans where then like, you know, f- 
20 something people piling into two motel rooms um, and, you know, figuring out like, you know, how to keep food cheap and things like this. And we were spending every weekend together going on these, you know, sometimes like you know, 10 hours away uh, to go to a race event uh, and then meeting up with the same, you know, people from from other uh, local colleges who were part of that conference. And so I think that element of it was what really made it much more about um, not even team. I didn't feel like I was part of a team with team goals as much as like a group of people who were going and having our own kind of individual competitive experience, but then also um, being, you know, in community with each other and seeing people from the other teams and, you know, some of the races, they'd be like a bonfire. Uh, one of them, there was a naked crit, uh, things like this, like just silly things like this that um, were a big part of of me uh, feeling a sense of uh, connection and community when I first started undergrad. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think there's been some interesting commentary going on in the ridership about people just introducing how they find the sport and what continues to motivate them, which is definitely exciting for me to read. Yeah, it's it's a set of conversations that that um, I'm excited to start bringing folks on the podcast to kind of dive deeper into. Um, you know, this like not just ha- how you got into riding, but but the deeper why. If you really kind of unpack, um, how does it tie into? Like, think of it evolutionarily. Even like we we are a species that that builds machines to ride in giant loops. Um, that doesn't, you know, there's no, like, we're not producing something that helps us stay fed or, or there's, there's just something that it addresses that is uh, a lot deeper than the activity itself and more universal, I feel. Yeah. No, I think it's going to be an interesting area for us to explore. And I'm excited to get guests on that can articulate these feelings and hopeful that the listener will continue to give us feedback to say, that is what I'm feeling. I know when we mm. when you've talked in the past about rolling meditation, my comments on the podcast page in the ridership often flare up and people just acknowledging like I feel the same way, Randall. Like when I'm out there, there's something it's more than a physical activity that drives my participation in the sport. Yeah, it's meditation is something that I was not I didn't consider myself able to do until fairly recently. And the, there was something about the bike as a, as an on-ramp to meditation, which, you know, meditation is a, just a way of listening to oneself, like really just creating a, a safe container where you can allow your subconscious to express itself. Cause we spend so much of our time suppressing that and the bicycle um, the way that it takes us out of our routines, takes us out of our, you know, our cities, our homes, our whatever, whatever it is, and allows us to go on a solo adventure where you have your breathing and your your cadence and your flow through the environments and your heart, your heartbeat, all are um, achieving some form of harmony. Such that you know that that suffering that ramps up as you increase your intensity, all of a sudden uh, just disappears, and it's just you with your thoughts, you with yourself, or me with my thoughts. Uh, and I, I think that that's something super powerful about this experience that ties into the the deeper meaning and purpose of of why many of us do this or, or the potential for it, uh, for sure. Yeah. And as we've been through this last period, this last year of the pandemic with many people riding by themselves, I'm curious for the listener to definitely come and comment about whether that resonates with you. Is that part of your 
feeling and love of the sport, particularly in this pandemic year, going out and riding by yourself and just experiencing all the emotions and all the feelings. Yeah. And, and uh, with regards to, to folks listening too, if there are people that you have found particularly resonant on these types of topics and, and sharing uh, and exploring these ideas, um, please let us know. Uh, in the Ridership Forum, we have a channel specifically for the Gravel Ride podcast. So jump in there and make suggestions of like, hey, here's a podcast with this person or here's a book or here's somebody I know um, who you know was a professional cyclist and then became a psychotherapist or, or you know who's a meditation practitioner or something. Uh, people who who we can kind of tease some of these themes out because I, I feel especially in the context of this collective experience of a pandemic and the collective experience of um, uh, significant political turmoil and transition, uh, concerns about, you know, even the, you know, to speak more broadly, like the future of humanity, you know, climate change and like uh, how our culture is driving us in a particular direction. Like there's this big issues that we all are, aware of and i think that um we're seeing manifest in 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 just how much change there is and how difficult that is for a lot of people to to process um there's an opportunity to have a conversation around this that maybe starts with the bike but ties into something much more universal about what we're all going through yeah yeah so for the listener just come on over if you're not already a member of the ridership just go to the ridership.com and you can get an invite and come on over and join the conversation. Randall, great to talk to you this week. Yeah, always a pleasure. I love this stuff. So big thanks for joining us this week. I hope the conversation sparks something within you. And as we were saying, we would love to hear from you if you have any feedback as to how cycling fits into your life. The best place to provide that feedback is going to be in the Ridership Forum If you're not already a member, just head to www.theridership.com to get your invite. Once in the forum, you can comment in the Gravel Ride podcast channel or any other channel that seems relevant to your point of discussion. Within the forum, you're going to see conversation from cyclists all over the world. We've got general topics as well as regional topics and routes that are prevalent throughout the platform. So come join us today. So that's it for this week. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. <laughs>